This is Teeming with Ideas, the podcast that explores how people at work work together. I'm Carlos Valdez Depena, your host, and I spent decades working with teams as well as researching, writing, and speaking about collaboration. In Teeming with Ideas, I'll be speaking with experts who will share their thoughts, experiences, theories, and practices so that you can put them to work to make your work life richer and more rewarding. Enjoy. Welcome back, Teeming with Ideas listeners. My guest is Gary Clark, who's speaking to us from Down Under. Carlos, um, great to be on the show. And where are you in Australia? Not far from Melbourne, down in the state of Victoria. So I've had a, a long career as a, in CPG, or F, fast-moving consumer goods. I've worked for Mars for 20 years, but I've been in business for over 30. I've had a, a very big array of experience, right down from being a sales territory manager, right through to, to general managers. Sometimes I wonder how I managed to get there, to be honest, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> What's your academic background? Did you, did you get a degree in business at some point? No, I actually didn't. That's what makes it quite unique. I left school at 15 and, and started a trade. So I joined the FMCG industry at the age of 30. So I'd done a lot of different things before actually uh, joining Mars, which was, uh, makes it quite unique. What trade were you trained in? I climbed power poles, electrical poles, and I started that at the age of 15. That's some dangerous stuff. That could be, that's risky. It can be, yes. And hence why I decided that I'd be better off selling things rather than uh, climbing power poles. So. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that's interesting about you and your bio, which my listeners can find at the website, is that you chose to go from being a productive member of society to being a consultant. Yes. <laughs> I'm just curious to know, how did you land on that? It goes back just a little bit. In the last sort of role that I had at Mars, I was fortunate enough to join an executive education program at Oxford called the Economics of Mutuality. And it explores the idea of business's role in society and environmental practice and how you can build sustainable businesses moving forward. And it fascinated me and really hooked me in. So I spent a lot of time working with the team. I went through the program. I went back as a guest presenter and have continued to stay in touch with them. And then the end of my time at Mars, I was sort of, as we all do, wondering what I was going to do in my time. And I'm quite altruistic, so I wanted to give back. I felt that I could play a role in helping business leaders prepare for the future, because I think the future's a lot different than the past that I grew up in. My business has three areas. It's a coaching business. It does some business consulting, but it also does thought leadership. And the thought leadership area is where I bring the Economics of Mutuality program forward through a partnership with them and other business units. It's, it's sort of uncharted waters. We're all looking at the condition of the planet and we're looking at how things are, are operating. We know we need to change. And I think business can play a significant role in that. So I'm here to help. <laughs> Famous last words. Yes. <laughs> For my listeners, I suggest you Google economics of mutuality. It is a very compelling area of social science and economics that was pioneered by our former employer, Mars Incorporated. We're here today, though, to talk about teams and collaboration. I know in your long and apparently varied career, you've been a member of teams, probably going back as far as your days climbing power poles. Uh, right on through your, your years with Mars. So when did you lead your first team? I've always led teams. I was lucky enough to be good enough at sport to be the captain, if you like. Oh, okay. I always got a really strong appreciation for the value of 
players, if you like, on on a field. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're young, you don't really understand the concept of teamwork other than to lead by example, what I was always taught. And so if you did your best, you would hope that everybody else would follow along. That concept was probably my first ever go at line management when I got into leading a business team. I thought, oh, I needed to get involved and show everybody how it's done, then I'm sure they'll follow. Didn't quite work uh, that way. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of team was it? What function? Uh, I was working for Mars in pet care business. We had a team of territory managers. And my idea of being a great line manager was to get in the trenches and do the work alongside the teams, which is one element. Boy, was I about to learn that there was a lot more to managing a business team than just showing them how to do things. Tell us about that journey. Yeah. What I would sort of try and do was replicate the behaviours that I wanted them to to carry out. But what I was missing was that they actually wanted to know that I knew they could do the the job themselves. And so uh, I was very early taught the lesson of it's not your job to come out here and do my job for me. Your job is to come out and help me do my job really, really well. It sort of changed my mind quite quickly and I got the concept of uh, being able to coach and mentor and support and get off the field, if you like, if you want to use that analogy of sport, get Mm -hmm. off the field, be outside and and watch people and help them when they needed the support. So that was a really good experience for me and I'm glad I got that experience fairly young in my career at Mars. And you say you started in this Consumer packaged goods, FMCG is yes. around 30. Yes. So you had a little maturity under your belt, I guess, at that point. Fortunately, yeah, I think I needed every bit of it. Within that experience, Gary, was there a, one of those tough aha moments when either someone sat you down and had some straight talk with you or you just had a sudden realization you'd put your foot in it? I think what I started to understand quite quickly that I was getting a reputation as being a driver and that didn't sit that well with me. So, you know, here he comes again, he's going to come out and drive me. And I didn't really enjoy that. And I, I heard it through the team. The team was starting to give me feedback if that this isn't how we want to be managed, this isn't how we want to be led. I was lucky enough to be able to, A, have a team that was giving me feedback, which I think is a really important thing, and then B, having the maturity to be able to respond to it. It was fairly collegial, it sounds like. Yes, yes. Do you recall a leader you worked with early on who was either a positive or a negative role model for you? Yeah, absolutely. It was my first field manager that I worked for, again, in, in Western Australia, and she very quickly invested heavily into my development. And I couldn't believe it, actually. I I mean, I'd been in the business world for 15 years, done it all pretty much by myself. I'd worked for small businesses or worked for myself. And then to have somebody who's, A, interested in you and, B, prepared to put resources behind you and help you grow, I was shocked, to be honest, and couldn't believe it was actually happening. And I'm so ever thankful and grateful because what she did was set me on a path which really did tied well into the, my whole career was development is important. It does make a difference and it can really transform you, the person and your business environment. So she was an amazing line manager for giving me the confidence to grow. And just by clearly taking an interest and in investing in me, I couldn't believe it was happening. So she sent you off onto programs, that sort of thing? Bit of everything. She was a very firm believer in there's classroom, then there's learning from others, and then there's learning on the job. So she would constantly stretch me. I can recall I used to get quite angry because she'd just give me more more tasks, more tasks, more tasks. But that was her way of finding out where my capacity was. At the time, it didn't feel like that, but 
the lesson you learned early on about don't be a driver, but it sounds like she was driving you pretty hard, Gary, uh, towards your development, but she was driving you. I think she was, but not in the way that I probably was doing it to the team that I was experienced because I was probably going down this perfectionist trait as well. I wanted things to be done uh, exactly right all the time, in time, on full, no room for error. So it was a different type of driving, whereas she was uh, she was driving me to find my potential. It was a different feeling. So let me talk about that leading by example thing you talked about earlier, because that's a very common phrase. Where is it right to lead by example, or is it ever? I prefer to call it setting the tone rather than leading by example. I think when you're talking behaviors, the way you want the business to run or the teams to run, then I think it is the role of the leader to set the tone of the business. But what I was confusing it with, that hands-on, right down into the detail, showing them everything, leading by example, but rather mm -hmm. setting the tone of the organization and, and the values and the behaviors. Whether you intended to do it or not, you were setting a tone of it's got to be perfect, no room for error. There's no room to learn, really, is there? Uh, it's quite stifling, my way or the highway type approach. And uh, whilst it might give you some short-term wins, it's not going to give you long-term sustainable business growth. When it comes to collaboration as opposed to teamwork, yes, teamwork is a generic term that describes a general tone of helpfulness and a sense of mutual support, whereas collaboration is actually working together to produce specific outcomes. Yeah. What have you learned about getting people to work productively together? I'd probably go back to a line manager again that taught me this. It was, again, my first time working for somebody who, instead of working individually on each of the people of the team, he was very engaged in the team dynamic. And what he was brilliant at was having these environments where you talked about how you bring personal commitment to each other, what you're at stake for, for your team member and the greater team. And, and then getting the expectations really clear about each person's role in that team. And then the ramifications of if you don't do it, the impact it has on the other person once you've made that commitment. So for me, that was a real step change. Instead of that line manager theory of get the best players, put them on the paddock and make sure that they all do the right thing, then you'll have a great team. Mm -hmm. This was being able to really drive personal commitment and clear expectations amongst each other so that we were at stake for each other and the business. What did that conversation sound like? What was this person doing specifically? Yeah. There's one that I've kept and replicated throughout my career. We used to go on walks together, basically. Each person would pair off. He'd give us a lead out statement, something like, if you were reporting to me, I would, or we would be better together if. Ah. Usually he'd take us to a nice place for a team building exercise and then we'd walk out into the forest or whatever it may be. And we'd have these conversations and we'd go round and round the team until everybody had had a moment with each other. And then we'd come back together and explore it. So everybody talked to everybody else? Yes. And we'd have those leading questions that he would use to drive the conversation. And guaranteed, there'd be a far better understanding of each other. We'd understand what was bugging us about each other. We'd understand what we valued in each other. Mm -hmm. And we'd understand what our strengths were and what our development opportunities were. What was your favorite one of those questions or two or three? When you were talking to a peer and you opened up with, if you were reporting to me, 
I would. And I always found that interesting because it was always that peer competition of who should be the next person to be the boss. Yeah, yeah. You were sort of showing your hand a little bit by saying, well, this is how I would want to have an interaction with you if I was leading you. So that always would create a bit of a dance between the two of you. If I was the boss, then I would want this. And if you were the boss, you would want that. Uh-huh. But And how well does that work with folks who aren't terribly friendly with each other? It's a new team and they just don't know each other or... They just are different types. I think then you've got to be a little bit careful about the questions that you send them out with. Uh, And, you know, you might not make them as provocative, which I actually experienced. I was leading a team that was multicultural. mm. We had Dutch, we had French, we had different cultures across it. And they weren't as comfortable with that type of interaction. So, yeah, you had to sort of tone the questions back and build it in as a process. But what we did do is each time we got together, they knew that that was a type of thing and they started to warm towards it and we built momentum behind it. There have been certain lessons I've just had to learn over and over again. I've learned them, but then somehow I've forgotten them. You know, I'll do something dumb and go, oh, I ought to know better. Where have you found that you've had to go back and learn a lesson more than once? One of the challenges that I've always had as a line manager is Knowing just when not to speak. (laughs) (laughs) And we all call ourselves great listeners and we've got great empathy and we've got humility, but it's a constant challenge, I think, as a leader, as a line manager, that moment of knowing that it's not the right time to have an opinion or to have a view on something and being able to just remain silent and stay in the moment. If I could master that, I'd be a very, very happy man. But I'm sure over the years I've spoken when I should have listened and and I've given advice when I didn't need to. I constantly work on it, but it's still something that I think all line managers can benefit from is putting your two ears on and taking your one mouth out of the equation. If you were coaching somebody who tends to talk more than they listen, do you have any tricks or techniques, pointers, simple things that you use for yourself or that you give others to use in helping them master listening? I think in team dynamics in particular, I've worked with people, including myself, on a speaking budget, which sounds a bit strange, but you know, giving yourself, you're only allowed to speak three or four times in this hour. So I use a thing called TPS, think it, plan it, say it. I learn by talking, so I'm a talker, so I have to think about it before I say it. Another very small one, which I've done many times over my career, is I just have a little box in the corner of my notepad Mm -hmm. and I put a dot every time I want to speak, but I've managed to constrain myself and I celebrate how many dots I can have in there at the end of the day. I like it. I like it. So a lot of of small things, but they're basic things. But any small trigger or tool that you can bring in tends to help better than just telling people you have to listen more. They've got to be able to do something and identify a trigger. You want it to be behavioral, yes. right? Yeah. You need an actual thing to replace the behavior you're trying to minimize. Yeah. I tend to be more of an introvert, but I do think out loud. Yes. When something pops up inside my fertile brain, instead of saying it, I write it. When you're the general manager or whatever, your words are pretty powerful at times. So you've got to make sure you're measured in what you're saying. What do you do when you listen? What are the behaviors of listening? Someone once described a leader I knew, he doesn't listen, he reloads. Keeping your mouth shut till it's your turn to speak. I'm finding it very challenging, actually. I think if I look at my interactions the last year, they've all been via Zoom, Teams, or Google Meet. 
Even that's a little bit different because you're part of the listening process is how you position yourself relative to the person you're listening to, the body language. And here it's a bit different. You're just sort of staring into this screen and, and trying to listen. I think that I like the reload thing. I think for me, my personal catch is asking myself, did I think about anything while I was listening? Right. If the answer is yes, then I wasn't listening. And so I think that's the goal always is to truly listen and not think forward and try and take the conversation. And I've been practicing that for the last two years now as you get more into that coaching element of listening and not having to own the conversation and not owning the agenda and not driving the conversation into any particular shape, just being okay with the conversation. I guess I should be embarrassed. I'm thinking as you talk. (laughs) You need to. (laughs) If we isolate listening as one of the muscles of collaboration, my background is in the theater. Mm -hmm. I was trained as a, a conservatory trained actor. It's all about listening. Yeah. The genuineness of what you speak, even though the words have been written by someone else, depends on having really heard what the person says. When you're talking back to reflecting on being in that team and doing these walks and talks and listening, I think one of the key questions when you're listening to somebody is, are you there to give or are you there to take? So are you on the team to serve the team or serve yourself? And I think that makes an incredible difference. If you can help people understand that Being on a team or wanting to collaborate with somebody is as much about giving as it is receiving. If you know that you're there to serve somebody, you're going to listen a little bit more because you're open to their agenda. So if I were a new young manager stepping into my first people leading role, what's on your short list of the most important things to remember if you're going to start leading and fostering collaboration in a team? I think firstly, it's, it's recognizing that it's a tricky transition. I mean, everything you've done usually to get promoted to a line manager has been through self-delivery. So it's been all about you. Mm. And as of this day, it's not going to be about you any longer. It's about how your team performs and how you can support them and help them grow. So I think that's the first one is paying attention to the transition and not underestimating it. It is difficult because Mm. you have to let your ego subside a little bit and make it about others. Being really clear on the context that you're leading your team in, understanding what the phase of the business unit is, understanding what's happening in the marketplace around you, and then understanding what's expected of you and your team is really important because you'll need to select the right people and you'll need to build the right capability in the spirit of the context that you're operating in. That's probably an area we talk about mistakes. That's something I learned the hard way, I can tell you that. (laughs) I think when it comes to people and talent, I think your role is to be on the lookout for talent and nurture it as much as you can. Find talent, bring the best people onto your team, get the best people you have into the hardest roles. But then there's a little trick I think we all fall into when we come into line management is that we think we can change people. And I think you've got to accept that they don't change much (laughs) and that you've just got to look for their strengths and build their strengths and build them and build them and and have honest conversations with them about what their strengths are, but what they're not so good at it and be very clear on that. And then I think you've got to have fun. In business, there's a lot of downs and when the ups come, you have to celebrate that and, and really endorse how well your team's gone and make it fun make it a really enjoyable space to be in if you can sort of have a legacy where anybody that's worked in your team 
20 years later can look back and go, oh, I remember when I worked in Carlos's team, it was awesome. I think that's your goal, right, as a line manager, yeah. as a first-time line manager. We started this discussion with this idea of mutuality. Can you put into a few words what the economics of mutuality is and then does collaboration have a role in doing this lofty thing? The basic premise is that you shouldn't be profiting at the expense of any of the capitals that are available to you. So either society, the human capital or environmental capital. If you tried to bring the whole 10 years of work down into one sort of line or sentence, that's pretty much it, is that you've got to run a business that is actually sustainable, that can put back into the system what it's taking out. So understanding mm -hmm. the broader ecosystem that your business operates in, identifying what the pain points are throughout the ecosystem and then having management strategies to reduce the pain points and making sure that you're building a business that isn't taking from the ecosystem. That's the goal. In mutuality sense, it's about taking something out but putting something back in and making sure that it's a shared situation that you're in. And so when you look at each of those capitals, are you, if you look at Mars as a good example, have a large environmental footprint when we're taking something out of the planet, what are we putting back in or how are we offsetting the issues that we've got? How are we managing that? So I think it's a management philosophy and then it's now becoming a management innovation is to how do we build businesses that are doing this well? And it's not just Mars that are focusing on it. The market's starting to shift. You can see it. Unilever were probably early leaders and there's a lot of businesses who are really starting to, to, to drive that way. So that's the thing that fascinates me. If you talk leadership, I think then you've sort of got to get above what it means to be an achiever if as a leader. The great leaders were sort of good on their metrics, strong on their process, inspire their people, deliver results. And now it's a bit broader than that. As a human, what's going on here? What's your business impact? What's going on in society? How are you a trusted partner? How are you valuing your people? So there's a lot more to it to lead into the future. And we're looking for those new, new types of leaders, ones that can stand up on the table and look at the big picture. So if I'm not running a business or running a factory, what does it mean to me and my people to have that mutuality mindset? Because you've got to recognize that people and entities and environments are all stakeholders that you have to take into account when you're making your decisions. Yes. And in a sense, you have to be in a collaborative mindset when you do that, because it's not just me saying, I'm going to cut down that forest so I can plant cocoa. That's not sustainable, right? You start to leach the soil. Yes. And so you have to look at that forest and say, okay, so we're in this together, forest. Yes. As much as you might to a teammate. I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, how do we both grow together and not at each other's expense? So when I grew up in the boardrooms, it was quite a competitive environment. I think there's not a lot of room for that now because it's narrowing people's focus. It takes a very different approach, very different leadership. Thank you for finding time. I've really enjoyed this. And guys, if you have any comments or questions for Gary, you can post them at our website and we'll make sure he gets them. Would you tell my brilliant listeners where they can reach you if they want to? Gary at 360resolve.com. Thank you, Carl. It's been an absolute privilege to spend time with you. And uh, thanks for your listeners for tuning in. Talk soon. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teaming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerick, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teaming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. 
questions, click on the Contact Carlos button, and we'll answer promptly. To be interviewed on the Teeming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdepena.com forward slash podcast dash contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening and keep on teeming with ideas.